2: If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
3: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com.
1: Hello and welcome to Saver a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese And
0: I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Gorgonzola.
1: Yes, which you picked for a very funny reason, yes?
0: <laughs> yeah, so, okay, so it's Valentine's Day. Hopefully, as this episode comes out, um, I don't know when you're listening to it because I'm not omniscient. Uh, but so I, I was searching in vain for some kind of Valentine's-themed episode that we have not already covered, and I just didn't like any of my options, and... Uh, and I was like, you know what is heckin' romantic? A stinky cheese. Yeah. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um. Yeah. It can be. Certainly. I would be smitten if someone made me a cheese plate.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the way to win our hearts. Yeah. <laughs> I know that that doesn't work for everybody, and that's the beauty of yeah. relationships,
0: oh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh-huh. Each yeah. one is its is its own. What does Ben Bolin say? Each one is its own nation. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Each
1: one is its own cheese plate, its own cheese plate. There you go. <laughs> yes. Uh, I did recently have a cheese night with some of my favorite. Uh, Galentine's—it's Galentine's Day, uh, oh, friends—and yeah. mm-hmm. um, I brought Rockaford. And um, <laughs> look, I don't know, uh, but <laughs> I bought it, and uh, they were all kind of hesitant about it. Okay, but then it got eaten. Uh, that's all I'll say. Well, I didn't really hear much about it. All but, right,
0: if I mean, but if they didn't leave it on the plate, yeah, they then either. I either they were. Trying to get rid of it, or they were happy
1: about it. Yeah, I think they were happy about it. But you know, these are how cheese nights go. They we are have to determine what people, what cheeses they'll go they'll go for, and this mm-hmm. is why a cheese night is so it can be so romantic <laughs> or personal because <laughs> you have to guess <laughs> what cheeses be a hit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes.
0: Uh, Not on the subject of cheeses, uh, but on the subject of what you'll tolerate. I'm working without a pop screen, without a pop filter on my microphone right now because mine spectacularly died at the end of last week. It just sort of exploded. Um, Don't worry. A A new one is arriving hypothetically tomorrow, but I just really hope that my peas and other noises are not extra grating on your ears today. Good friends. I'm glad funny. that I chose a day when um we're recording two episodes to have this <laughs> catastrophic pop filter failure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well Gorgonzola doesn't have any peas in it. Um <laughs> well, not that you know of <laughs> oh, oh no <laughs> I can't wait to find out. Um Yes, yeah, so a pop filter for the uninitiated is like a for your plosives, your hard sounds. Uh, yeah. It's supposed to make them not so hard against your your dear, our dear listeners' ears. So, yeah, <sighs>
0: apologies to y'all and apologies to Super Producer Andrew, uh, who has to deal with Always. me all the time because my face is so gross on the inside. <laughs>
1: Always. Um, well... With that note, uh, <laughs> you can see our past <laughs> episodes <laughs> on cheeses, perhaps Roquefort specifically. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a, it's a stinky cheese. It's a stinky cheese. Yeah, which I guess brings us to our question. <laughs> I guess it does. Yeah, sure. All right, Gorgonzola. What is it?
0: Well, uh, gorgonzola is a type of variably aged cow milk cheese with green-blue veins running through it. Uh, Depending on how it's made, it can range from uh, off-white in color and buttery soft in texture with a sweet, tangy, mildly funky flavor to kind of straw yellow and crumbly soft-ish and very earthy and salty and sharp and strong, like sort of eye-watering. Um, it can be eaten on its own with uh, crackers or bread and like fruits and honey as part of a cheese plate or used as a topping on savory dishes or melted into sauces for uh, pastas or meats or veg or cooked into any kind of savory baked good or casserole. It's a little bit like if if, like mid-level hot peppers were creamy and spreadable, it's like when you have to sneeze, you know, like that feeling that's like right up in your eyeballs, but in a tasty way. It, <laughs> I, I love, I, I love this cheese. Uh, let me, okay, let me, let me do the poetic thing. Um, okay, Gorgonzola is like when you visit a stable. Follow with me here, um, and then you walk out into an open pasture, and the sun is so hot, but the breeze is so smooth on your skin. It's it's like eating that slightly funky breeze.
1: Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely purchased some. Um, I'm oh. ready. My Valentine's Day celebration. Um, oh I'll my keep goodness! This in mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, special. I have
0: a page of recipes for you. Um, The Gorgonzola Consortium has a really great recipe page up. Um, More (laughs) on them later. All right, so so um, the term gorgonzola is in fact a protected designation of origin in the European Union. In order to be labeled gorgonzola, a cheese must be made from milk that comes from and is processed in specific areas of Piedmont and Lombardy, Italy, using specific guidelines. About thirty to forty factories currently make gorgonzola. But let's back up a second and do cheese one hundred and one. Yeah. Um. All right. So cheese is a way of preserving milk so that you can eat it later. You do that by getting out a bunch of the water in in, in the milk, because microorganisms that make things go bad need water just like us. And then furthermore, by encouraging helpful microorganisms to grow that will prevent illness-causing organisms from growing. All right. As a bonus, a lot of those helpful microbes contribute flavors that at least some of us humans enjoy. Okay, to get a bunch of water out of milk. You take milk and introduce something that will make the milk curdle, which which means that uh, the the fats and the proteins and stuff that hang out with fats will separate out from the water and the stuff that hangs out with with water. To get that started, you encourage friendly lactic acid bacteria to grow in the milk. Uh, These are a category of bacteria that eat some of the sugars in the milk and excrete acid, which causes that separation. In the case of gorgonzola and many cheeses, you further curdle the milk using rennet, which is this uh, animal protein that helps some baby grazing mammals better digest their mother's milk by making it separate in their stomachs. But anyway, uh, so you drain the watery part called the whey away, and uh, then you take the solids, the curds, and that's cheese. Uh, You can further process the cheese curds any number of ways to create all kinds of different cheeses. Again, in the case of gorgonzola, as that is our topic of the day, you take whole milk from cows and pasteurize it. Then add rennet, some milk enzymes, uh, which help with coagulation, and some helpful mold spores. More on those in a sec. Uh, Once the curds form, you break them up and place them uh, in first draining tables, then these big wheel-shaped molds to to let a, a whole lot of the whey drain off. You don't press them, though, as you do with many cheeses that wind up being firmer. For a few days, uh, these wheels are kept fairly warm and are salted on all sides. This process is called purgatory, or this like stage. This is the purgatory stage. I love that. Heck in Italy, y'all are so cool. Um, uh, and and then the wheels are moved into deep refrigeration. After about a month or so, uh, there's a period of a few days, um, sometimes a few times over, where the wheel will be struck through one side at a time with these big, hollow metal needles that basically pull out like like core samples of cheese. And this will allow for airflow through the wheel as it continues to age, which helps those mold spores that we added earlier to bloom and grow into the the, the characteristic green-blue veins throughout the wheel. The specific type of mold used is penicillium glaucum, which helps prevent bacterial growth. It also eats compounds in the cheese and thus changes the texture and flavor of the final product. Mold poo. (laughs) <laughs> there are two primary categories of gorgonzola, uh, dulce, meaning sweet or mild, which is aged between 50 and 150 days, and then picante, meaning spicy or, or picant, which is aged between 80 and 270 days. The longer it goes, the further it develops its mold veining and firmness and yellowish coloration and all of those kind of funky sharp notes. The wheels are finally taken from their molds, uh, sometimes sliced in half and or into wedges, and then wrapped in aluminum foil and stamped with the PDO, which is a big old letter G. (laughs) Though other dairies in other places do make gorgonzola-type cheeses. Yes. Um, And yeah, it can be used however you like to use cheese. Uh, From what I understand, it's mostly considered a cooking cheese in Italy. Write in, let me know. Um, I, I feel like I've mostly seen it in more straightforward applications in the united states like crumbled onto salads or
1: pizzas or as part of a cheese board but yeah yeah same right in i've got some ready to go yeah (laughs) yeah yes uh well what about the nutrition?
0: Uh, high in proteins and fats. Uh, gorgonzola, like most cheeses, is a nutrient-dense food, which is sort of the whole point. Um, It can also be heavy on sodium, though it does have a good smattering of uh, various other micronutrients. You know, watch your portion sizes, drink water, eat a vegetable.
1: Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> uh, we do have some numbers for you.
0: We do. Okay, so gorgonzola is Italy's third most produced PDO cheese by volume after Grana Padano and Parmigiano Reggiano. Uh, also, one study that was looking into the palatability of different varieties of Gorgonzola identified 53 volatile organic compounds coming off of their cheeses. Um, volatile organic compounds being uh, things what smell. Yeah. Uh, An earlier study from the year 2000, I think, uh, found that a specific alcohol called octanol or mushroom alcohol is a major marker of of gorgonzola flavor. Um, It's also a main flavor component in mushrooms, hence its name. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yep. Today, certified gorgonzola makers produce about 55 and a half metric tons of cheese. Every year, that's a little bit over 5 million wheels of cheese, Um, about 36% of which is exported. Of that, Germany and France buy the most, about half together— and the, the 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 sweet or mild dulce type is is much more widely produced and has been scientifically found to be preferred by more consumers. Uh, only eleven to twelve percent of all gorgonzola is the uh, is the picante uh, piquant spicy type. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but the cheese is exported to some eighty seven countries. So.
1: Wow. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, I love, a, I love a good stinky cheese with a fun name. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Right? Yes. And it does have quite the history. It does. And we are
0: going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This
1: episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. And we're back, thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So again, as with our other cheese episodes, a lot of cheeses probably were discovered somewhat accidentally and concurrently in different places. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of stories you could find about this cheese compared to this cheese, and they sound very similar, but they're happening in different places. So just to put that out there. Um, that being said, Lombardy, Italy, frequently claims to be the home of Gorgonzola. Um, historically, Lombardy has been a very fertile area for cows to graze. So uh, the cows would spend the summer up in the Alpine region, and then during the winter, they would migrate down south. And during their migratory journeys, farmers milked the tired cows. And this milk had a higher butterfat content, and it made it tastier. Yeah. Uh,
0: they The cows were not making better milk because they were tired but but rather because of that good grass and, and you know seasonal hormone fluctuations Etc uh, the cheese was probably at the time called stracino verde or perhaps a stracino gorgonzola stracino comes from a word for tired um, and is a, a more generic term uh, around Italy for for young aged soft white cheeses. Verde means green, uh, referring to the veins. And, of course, Gorgonzola is a town outside of Milan, uh, which is the capital of the Lombardy
1: region. Yes. Oh, I can't wait to look at my cheese after this and see what kind of cheese it is. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I want to know all about it. Yeah. Uh, Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Well, as you know, if you've listened to this show, a lot of these cheeses have a very fun but not at all verified... (laughs) accidental <laughs> discovery story uh-huh. some um, kind of mythology gor- of the cheese yeah exactly the mythology of the cheese is a good way to put it uh gorgonzola is no different one of the most popular stories takes place in 879 ce in Lombardy, italy and goes thusly and i swear we have heard this exact story before yep in another mm-hmm. cheese mm-hmm. <laughs> tale mm-hmm. but as it goes a young man in love. Yeah. He chases the woman of his dreams and therefore leaves behind his cheese curds in a cave. Oh, <gasps> dear. Or perhaps was dumped by her and was <laughs> wallowing in grief. Oh, no. <laughs> Either way, he forgot the curds in the cave. So to cover up his laps, he mixed in the fresh curds of the morning with those that he had left behind. And a few weeks later, he noticed blue-green veins running through this cheese. And he and or his boss uh, took a taste, loved it, and there you go, gorgonzola cheese. (laughs) And they started trying to replicate this tasty mistake yes um again <laughs> a fun story for valentine's day <laughs> <laughs> exactly. oh absolutely heartbreak and or love we're not sure yeah. the stinky cheese came out <laughs> um so again with all of these cheese stories This is not very verified, and there's a lot of other stories behind it. So for a long time, most sources have put Gorgonzola's origins in the ninth century in Italy, but some more recent sources suggest that it may go back to southern France when it was ruled by the Roman Empire. But when I was reading through this, it seemed to be more of an argument about Roquefort uh, being essentially the same as Gorgonzola's, so don't yell at me. That just seems to be what the argument is where people are like, they're kind of the same thing. So it originated hmm. here. I have put my hands up yeah. and back away.
0: <laughs> I, I I will say that, that roquefort is produced I mean, certainly now that we have, you know, uh, isolated genetic strains of these different mold species with a different species of penicillium than Gorgonzola is. But I I also put up my hands, I don't I wasn't there. Or at least not that you can prove.
1: Ooh. Oh, my. <laughs> Lauren comes in with the mold strains and then some kind of tease that she might have been there. <laughs> I love it. Hmm. <laughs> um, well... Other sources suggest that Gorgonzola was a version of a cheese that was mentioned in the will of Milan's archbishop from 1868 to 1881, Ansperto de Bisano. And I tried to look into
0: this because I am fascinated by the idea of an archbishop of Milan, and like specifically this guy who's really well known for helping build out some of the cool old architecture in Milan, having cheese in his will alas alack i could not find anything
1: i mean cheese in the will that's pretty good
0: um i he was also known for being like a pretty wild personality so i'm like i don't know maybe he did have cheese in his will more power to him
1: (laughs) there's a lot of puns to be had (laughs) cheese in the will i have to say (laughs) Um <laughs> uh well, yet others say that the cheese originated in the dairy producing region of val in Italy, and I apologize if I'm butchering that. um a big part of this theory has to do with the natural caves in that area that would be ideal for making gorgonzola. Hmm. Um, and even other theories suggest hmm. that the cheese goes back to an innkeeper. In Gorgonzola, who was trying to deter heavy drinkers in his establishment and save money by giving them cheese with these veins in them, presumably cheese that had gone bad. Uh, however, the cheese went well with the wine that the drinkers were drinking, and the plan <laughs> backfired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so a lot, of, a lot of stories behind this cheese. Um But whatever the case, it gradually spread throughout the Lombardy and Piedmont regions of Italy. Eventually, European aristocracy fell in love with gorgonzola during medieval times. Um, By the 19th century, gorgonzola was sometimes mentioned along other beloved industrially produced cheeses. Um, Some of the first industrial commercial gorgonzola factories started up towards the end of the 1800s.
0: Yeah, and this was around the time that the name Gorgonzola started taking off because as this cheese spread, pun intended after the fact, uh, folks started identifying it by, you know, that specific production area.
1: Yes. Um, And by the 20th century, Gorgonzola went global. Yep. uh, It, for example, was the only
0: Italian cheese on the menu on the Titanic in 1912. Peak Gorgonzola production as a a percentage of total Italian cheese production happened in the 1930s. Uh, It then accounted for some 13.5% of all Italian cheeses being made. Uh, By that point, about 60% was being exported. Supposedly, Winston Churchill was a fan to the point that he specifically requested that the Allies not bomb the town of Gorgonzola. During their attacks on the Axis. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. After World War II ended and everyone was kind of getting back on their feet again, um, there was in 1951 this European Dairy Conference, during which everyone kind of agreed that it was a good idea to protect the names and methods of making these economically important products. Following that, in 1955, Italy officially recognized the traditional local creation of gorgonzola, along with uh, Fontina, Grana Padano, Pecorino Romano, Pecorino Siciliano, and Parmigiano Reggiano. They also imposed more strict regulations about production around these products. Um, This actually seriously thinned the field of gorgonzola producers. Within about 10 years, the hundred-some dairies that had been making the cheese shrank to about 30. Further codifying this cheese, in 1970, a group of producers and other interested industry parties formed the Consortium for the Protection of Gorgonzola Cheese, which, with authorization and supervision by the Italian government granted the following year, still oversees the regulations for the making of gorgonzola. I I think that this, this consortium was the coming together of two separate Voluntary groups, one run by mostly small producers, and one by industrial producers, um, with the with the Italian Dairy Association. So yeah, in 1996, Gorgonzola was granted that PDO status by the European Commission, and uh, in more recent years, there's been concern about climate change affecting milk production for Gorgonzola, um, and also about things like like conflicts around the globe and American politics. Affecting trade routes and exports. Again, food,
1: I feel like sometimes we forget it, but it is so connected to all of these things, (laughs) including politics and climate change. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, if you when 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 trade agreements go different for different reasons, uh, it can become very worrisome for people who are just trying to sell
1: cheese, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, again, listeners, uh, please let us know if you have thoughts about this or, uh, I have some, how should I use it? Yeah. But I think that's what we have to say about Gorgonzola for now. Uh, I think it is. We, We do already
0: have some listener mail for you though, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors.
3: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor.
3: Yes, thank you.
1: And we're back with... Let's man. So there's this episode of Spongebob where (laughs) he has, like, horrible breath, (laughs) and he doesn't realize why everybody is running away from him. Uh, uh So that was the inspiration for this (laughs) listener mail chime. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's a good episode. (laughs) I believe you. (laughs) Um, Kenna wrote... Hi, Annie and Lauren, just wrapping up your sea urchin episode. Although I have never eaten a sea urchin or given one a hat, I have worn a live sea urchin as a hat. (laughs) It was bestowed on me by our tour guide while snorkeling in Hawaii, Uh, finding that we were all reasonably able to both float and breathe at the same time. Our guide decided we needed to be impressed, spotted an urchin trundling along the seafloor and dove down. The urchin was deposited on top of my head, and I am not sure which of us found the experienced stranger. I had a spiny thing wandering my scalp, and the sea urchin discovered the joys of becoming tangled in human hair. (laughs) We took the necessary photos and then returned it to the brine. Glad nobody told me at the time that they could be (laughs) feminists. Wow. Well, that's amazing. Um, yes. <laughs> wow. That sea urchin. I mean, he, he flipped the expectations.
0: hmm Yeah.
1: Instead of looking for a hat.
0: It became a became. hat. Mm-hmm. hmm I mean. Really full circle
1: for that guy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He'd probably tell all his sea urchin friends. You <laughs> wouldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been telling everybody I can about this search and hat thing, so <laughs> thank you again, Lauren, for giving me that fact. Anytime. Um, anytime. <laughs> but this also sounds lovely, yes. Kenneth. Oh, so <laughs> like good. you had a good time. <laughs>
0: Oh, um, Matt wrote, a long-time listener, first-time caller here, and regrets if I'm overdue writing in. I have a tendency to let your episodes pile up so I can savor your wonderful banter in larger doses. Your mold wine episode was amazing, but was missing a very important fiery variation. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a try, y'all. A uh, Fjörs Fire tongs punch is the translation. It's basically your garden variety mulled wine as described in the episode, but with the drippings from a Zuckerhut, a totally not dangerous burning cone of sugar saturated in 151, providing the requisite sweetness. My dearest German friend introduced me to it while living in Boston. Of course, it's ripe for variations, so when we celebrated the Game of Thrones finale a few years ago, we fashioned a Zuckerhut wall out of a pile of sugar cubes. And spoiler alert, we set it on fire with Casper, my roomie's Chihuahua mix, dressed as a dragon. <laughs> Attached are pictures of Casper, the Zucker Hut wall, and a more typical, uh, oh, that word. Yeah, sure, a drink of this kind. Aside, I found Casper on the side of the road 15 years ago, and he is still the same fire breathing terror as the day we found him. P.S. Coincidentally, this was also the episode where you read the listener mail for pizzeles. The Italian side of my family hails from northeastern Ohio as well, and we pronounce it Zelles. My parents got a pizzele iron for their wedding, and I still crave them every year.
1: Oh, oh Casper.
0: Oh, Casper, what a good dragon.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was very cute. And this is like game recognized game, because I've tried to do this like <laughs> setting fire of cocktails at parties Mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. I've had varying levels of success. Um, Yeah. yeah. Sometimes those fireproof glasses are not so fireproof is what I'll say. Oh my goodness. Heck. Yes. (laughs) But I love this. This is definitely something I would try to do. It looks like you had a great time. Uh, (laughs) And you got some great mulled wine out of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. you didn't have any explosions. (laughs) Not that you mentioned anyway. So yeah, perfect. Uh, Oh gosh,
0: that's wonderful. I do. I do love I do love live fire in a cocktail. That's that's great.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had I bought a whole bottle of 151 and I I did a lot of experiments. Some were successful (laughs) and some were not. Um but this sounds like you had a great time. And yes, Casper was very adorable. Um, so thank you. <laughs> yes. I'm glad it worked out. Um, also, I continue to love these uh, pizelles, pizelles. <laughs> uh notes, conversations. Um, they're great. So thank you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and thanks to both of these listeners for taking the time to write in. Mm-hmm. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. Oh, we're
0: also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Savor is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies.